from deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Bring in Brian Cox and C.C. Jefferson, two defensive linemen in the block now for this set. Kelvin Taylor running back. Harris under center. Hands it off to Taylor, trying to sweep out to the left side. And wide open, Greengrass. Touchdown, Taylor made. Sweeping off to the left. 6 nothing Florida. 43-yard kick just inside the left hash to the north uprights to give the Gators the lead. The snap's a good one. The set down, the kick is up. On the way, it is good! The Gators have won the SEC Eastern Division title with a thrilling 9-7 come-from-behind victory over Vanderbilt. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. The Gators' spectacular run will extend into December thanks to the win over Vanderbilt, making Jim McElwain just the third coach in SEC history to lead his team to Atlanta in his inaugural season. But as Coach Mack was quick to point out this week, there is still a lot of work to be done if the Gators want to remain in the running for the college football playoff, and that starts with a trip to South Carolina on Saturday to take on the struggling Gamecocks. In preparation for that, today we'll talk to Trip Thurman about the keys to improving the offensive line, Find out how DBU is holding up throughout this special season with Coach Kurt Callahan and chat with Scott Carter about the matchup with South Carolina and what's on the line for the Gamecocks. Plus, we'll catch up with former Gator baseball star and recent honorary Mr. Two-Bits, Matt Laporta. But first, reaching the SEC title game has become increasingly more difficult as parity spreads throughout the conference, and this is just the fifth time the Gators will play for the league title since the new millennium. With that in mind, the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, insists these opportunities shouldn't be taken for granted. Well, I think we're extremely fortunate, and it's a testament to really the coaching job that, that they've done this year. We knew we had great defensive players, and I think there was a lot of question marks as to how talented some of the offensive players were. And, and you know, I think the previous offensive coordinators certainly knew their stuff. I think they had good schemes. Why it didn't work, who knows? A lot of people have theories on why it didn't work. But with McElwain coming here, offensively minded as the head coach, made a little more of an emphasis on, on the offense, and I think he installed... In those guys uh, some discipline, a work ethic, and also gave them some confidence. It's hard to be confident when you don't have a lot of success, and without a lot of success, it's hard to be confident. And so I think he had to kind of restore that a little bit to, to get their confidence back up. And, and, you know, three months ago, he was telling them, it's okay to make a good play. And then when you make one, go ahead and make another one and another one and get kind of used to that feeling. And it took a little while, and we're certainly not there yet, but, you know, the, the future is bright. For a team that's predicted to finish fifth in the SEC East, this has been a really overachieving group of players, most believe. When you look at your time here, are there other teams you can think of that maximize their talent to such a degree? Well, that's really hard to, to kind of remember back that far, but I, I do know when Steve came in in 1990 and he admitted 
he inherited a great group of players uh, that we brought in in the 80s, and we had the best record in the league. They would not allow us to declare ourselves the league champions in 1990. We had for years on the stadium, first in the SEC, and then in 91, we were able to win it. But we knew there was going to be a turnover by the 92 season, because back in the 92 season, we started two true freshmen on the offensive line in uh, Jason Odom and Reggie Green, two freshman tackles. And so while we had a veteran quarterback in Shane Matthews, he had kind of a makeshift line at times. And those guys grew into very good players. Those two guys I mentioned were four-year starters. But in that year, we started out one and two in 1992 and uh, managed to go six and two. And and then we lost in the inaugural SEC championship game. I don't know if you say overachievers, but uh, you you didn't expect them to win a title, especially when they were one and two in league play. And then, of course, that began the, the run of 93, 94, 95, 96, the division titles and SEC titles, for that matter, national championship in 96. On the other side of the coin, we look back at the 2001 team. It's probably the best team we ever had that didn't win anything, and that was obviously uh, marred by the tragedy of uh, 9-11 and then having to play Tennessee in December as opposed to September, and then they beat us in the swamp. So uh, that's the other side of that coin, that maybe that team was as good as any we had and didn't have an Eastern Division championship to show for it. You know, I'm, I'm not certain, you know, if in recent memory, if we have a, a club, uh, well, we, it's obvious, we, we've never had a team pick this low and then win the division. So from that standpoint, in my 27 season, we've never seen this, where the Gators were picked fifth in the preseason uh, from fifth to first. It's been so rare in Florida's history to clinch the SEC East in the swamp. So talk about how special and unique that was to be able to celebrate the division title in front of the home fans. Yeah, the Gators will now appear in, I believe, their 12th SEC championship game since since it inaugurated in 1992. That's more than anybody else in the league. But the the vast majority of those, you know, you don't win. You don't clinch them at home. You, you don't really clinch them quite as early as we have. So that, that, that's been pretty special to do it on homecoming when they hadn't been in the swamp for over a month uh, and to do it like in that fashion with a you know, with a you know, kick in the last two minutes to win a game. Uh, I'm very happy for Austin Harden because it's certainly an unlikely hero. Even though he had kicked the game winner at Tennessee last year, there were a lot of people on the edge of their seats last week. And a lot of people refused even to look, kind of had their head buried in their hands, didn't really want to look, including some players. Uh, but, you know, it was like a pure golf swing. He hit that ball in a sweet spot. And it traveled uh, a good 20 yards further than it needed to. And so it was just a great kick and good for him because he certainly had a difficult year. And I think going back to the confidence thing, that ought to give him some confidence and uh, maybe give everybody in the program, in, in Gator Nation, confidence that, hey, you can run that guy out there and he can kick one for you. And, and he may have to kick another big one in the next few weeks too. South Carolina joined the SEC in the early 90s but weren't really a player for a while until Spurrier came along, and that really changed the whole nature of the Florida-South Carolina rivalry. It really did because when Carolina first came into the league, their program was down and the Gator program was really on the rise under Steve, and we dominated them every year for a decade. And it wasn't until actually when Steve came back to South Carolina that it started to even up. I think it's 5-5 five and five over the last 10 games, so it's been very competitive. I do remember one game in the Swamp when uh, obviously... Jarvis Moss blocked the field goal uh, in, I think it was 2006. Uh, it was a huge game, one of the one of the highlight games in, in the history of the Swamp, really, and certainly in recent memory for what it meant. And, and then I, I think Steve came back in the 08 year, and everything went wrong for him. I, I believe the Gators scored like three touchdowns in a span of just a few minutes, and the game got out of control early, and uh, Florida won 56-6, I think it was. But the last couple of years, you know, Steve's beaten the Gators. Certainly last year we handed a game to him. Uh, 
when they blocked two kicks in the final three minutes, and we even had the lead inside of a minute to go in the game and lost it. So they beat us two in a row. I think they beat us four of the last five. So certainly there's some evening up to do from the Gators' standpoint. But in the long-term history of the series, uh, the Gators have really dominated. The 06, the 08 games, classic games that were both at home, but also some good games that have been played up in Columbia as well. Well, you know, when we came from behind here this year and, and, and beat Tennessee, it was a great win, 28-27. But I, at that time, thought back to the 1993 game at South Carolina. Uh, the Gators got behind in that game 17 to nothing, but we rallied to win. I believe it was one of the biggest road comebacks ever. And one of the plays in particular that I that I remember, uh, we were down at about our own one or two yard line. And Danny Werfel drops back in the end zone to throw a screen pass to Jack Jackson, who caught the ball about a yard deep in the end zone behind the goal line. And uh, somehow he got out of there and went 73 yards down to the Carolina 27 yard line. It looked like they had us probably for a safety on that play and it turned out it set up what would be a touchdown it was part of our comeback to go out and win that game after trailing 17 to nothing early that was in the 93 game there at South Carolina and as a matter of fact Chris Rump was one of the defensive players on the South Carolina team now of course he's the Gators defensive line coach and I've talked to a couple of times with coach Rump about that particular game he was a member of the Gamecocks and he was a very good player too I might add with Spurrier being out of the picture now, how does that change the Florida-South Carolina matchup and that rivalry in your mind? They go back to being just another team now, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it was certainly magical when, when Steve was on the sidelines, particularly when he was in the swamp, place that he gave the name to. And see him standing on the east sideline, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, that made every game really special, no matter what the records of either team were in that particular game for those years, those five years that he was in here for that. You know, now that he's no longer active, you know, it's just another team in the Eastern Division that we got to contend with. I don't know how their program's going to go. It's not an easy job in which to recruit to because the population of the state's not awfully large. Uh, they've had to go outside the state, and yet they're they're competing with Clemson for recruiting, and then recruiting, uh, you know, up in the Carolinas with with those schools up there in North Carolina and uh, Tennessee to their west. And then they've been able to under Steve get a lot of players in Florida. You don't know how long that's going to continue, but they certainly have to try. Uh, obviously, we'll go head to head with them on some recruits. I would imagine now with Jim McElwain and his staff here, and we can no longer lose recruits that we want, uh, that we've targeted as native Floridians. We've got to be able to get those and not have those guys in the future go to South Carolina. Florida's offensive line has continued to grow throughout this season and has been arguably the most scrutinized unit on the field from fans and media alike. Good leadership has been critical for this year's young group, and that effort has been headed up by redshirt senior Trip Thurman. Before breaking down the play of the big guys up front, we asked Tripp how it feels to be champions of the SEC East. It's an amazing feeling. I've been here for five years now, and we haven't come anywhere close to it. So it's unbelievable, and I'm really proud of the team and how we've worked hard and to overcome all the challenges we've faced this year. You mentioned being here for five years and going through a lot of challenges. Does it make it that much sweeter because of how much it took to get to this point? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, we've we've been through ups and downs these past five years, and uh, coming from Urban Era, then to Muschamp, then now to Mac, it's it's been a whirlwind. But uh, I'm definitely proud of this team, and it's an amazing feeling to be SEC East champs. It's what we worked hard for. It's what I've worked hard for all five years here. How significant was it to clinch the SEC East, not only in the swamp but also on a homecoming, which is important to so many people? It was definitely a great feeling to clinch it at home in the swamp. Um, Coach Mack always preaches we want to go undefeated in the swamp. We don't lose in the swamp. And um, it was definitely nice to squeeze it out and be SEC East champs. 
looking at some of the struggles during that game against Vanderbilt, what were you guys able to identify in the aftermath that you can correct going forward? I think one of the glaring um, things is the offensive line. Saturday, I think we played to the level of expectations that were, were brought upon us coming into the season. I think a lot of people expected us to play that way in August, and that's not what we want in that I was thoroughly disgusted of our performance at the offensive line position, and we've been working hard these past three days. So um, looking to get back and becoming a championship team this Saturday against South Carolina. You mentioned the expectations that were put on you at the beginning of the year. A lot of people felt like the offensive line was going to be the trouble spot for this team. How did you guys overcome those expectations and be the unit that's helped lead an 8-1 and team so far? It's really all about communication. There's a lot of young guys in positions they've never been before. I mean, this time last year, they're in championship games at high school. So and now they're SEC champs. A lot of it's just getting guys all on the same page. I mean, it's a testament to those guys, too, because they, they are willing to work and put in the effort in the weight room and in the film room over the summer. So it's it's just an amazing to kind of get all five guys on the same page, and especially being that young. What do you feel like your role has been as one of the older guys in getting the Martez Ivies, the Fred Johnsons, acquainted to life on the offensive line in the SEC? Yeah, I mean, there's a standard in any offensive line in the country. Um, you want to be the most dominant on the field. And I think... Um, just me being a leader for those guys and all the other guys on the field, it's, it's really helped them a lot in trying to set a standard and the way you're supposed to play on the offensive line. What do you think your age and experience has given you in terms of perspective that some other guys who are 17, 18 years old might not have at this point? Really not to get caught up in the hype. I mean, yeah, we're SEs champs, but looking back on that game last Saturday is really unacceptable, like I said, and um, we need to just continue to work hard and get ready for South Carolina. You know, Coach Mack has talked a lot about the importance of getting the running game going, and that obviously follows to the offensive line. What do you feel like the O-line needs to do to get more productive on the ground? We just, we just need to be more dominant up front. I mean, when things aren't going right, we just need to focus focus in and kind of close out all the other stuff and not worry about the defense and what they're doing. We need to focus on what we need to do. What have you seen from Treon Harris and his development now as he settles in toward the tail end of the season? He's been doing great. I mean, I really feel for him. <laughs> we didn't give him enough time this past Saturday, and um, we're going to fix that. Now that everyone's talking about Atlanta, you said the key is don't get caught up in the hype. How does this team get refocused now on the next three weeks before you get to Atlanta? I mean, it starts each day. Coach Mack always preaches it. we prepare for the now, and it's all about us. And right now we're focused on tomorrow's perfect Thursday practice. And then after that, I mean, it would be th- Friday and then game time. So um, it's really week by week. We don't want to look towards Atlanta, but even though it's there, it's going to come. You know, we don't want to look forward. It's going to be there in three weeks. So we just want to take it week by week, day by day. How much of a culture shock was it coming from Dover, Delaware, to being here in Gainesville, Florida? It's pretty big. Dover is a town of 30,000, I believe. So when we have 50,000 undergrad here, it's, it's kind of crazy. So, I mean, I'm definitely blessed to be able to spend my time, my past five years down here and get a UF degree and play at one of the best universities in the SEC. College football isn't quite as big a deal up north. It's more about the NFL, about Major League Baseball. Were you prepared for the expectations of what college football is here in the South? A little bit. My dad was born and raised in Knoxville, and my mom went to UT, actually, so... I grew up around SEC football, and uh, I knew a little bit of expectations and how it was going to be, but when I got down here, it's just it's just unbelievable feeling, and the fans are great. It's just crazy that I'm at this point, being from Delaware, never thought I'd, I'd make it this far. Most people don't know a lot about Delaware, but they do know there's not a lot of teams up in Delaware. So growing up, who did you follow? Gator fans are going to hate me for this, but uh, I followed the volunteers. So like I said, my 
My dad was born and raised in Knoxville, and my mom is an alumni to UT. I was all involved when I was younger. How tough has it been on your family having to transition to become a Gator fan since you got here? Oh, not at all. <laughs> uh, once, uh, once I committed, they threw out all the Tennessee stuff, memorabilia, so we're, we're all good there. Uh, and that's my favorite game since I've been here, and we're undefeated against them. We're talking right now in the indoor practice facility. What has this done for the program, and, and what does it mean for you as a guy on your way out to see what's being laid for the future? This is unbelievable, and I think it's going to help recruiting and moving forward, too, with Coach Mack. I mean, I've said this before in interviews, and I'm jealous. I wish I would have came in right when uh, Mack got here. These freshmen, sophomores are going to have a blast being under Coach Mack and developing under them. Final question for you. South Carolina this weekend, what have you seen on film so far from the Gamecocks? What are going to be the keys? Run the ball. Uh, we want to run the ball against their forefront uh, defense, and if we can do that, then that will open up enough holes for Kelvin and Scarlett to get through and maybe throw up the passing game a little bit. The Gators are no doubt in the position they're in largely due to their defense, and that includes the Sharp secondary. The group that calls themselves DBU is led by Coach Kurt Callahan, and Jeff Cardozo asked him what it meant to clinch the division title. It's an awesome feeling, you know, to attribute to all these players and what they've done work ethic-wise and getting to this point and buying in the Coach Max system. We're extremely excited about it, but obviously we got to get this one here against South Carolina. I know it's been a lot of hard work from what you showed up with on campus and all the things that you guys had to go through and, and building this. Uh, you know, talk about these guys just really coming together. You know, it's a good thing. You know, when it, we walked into this situation, they were already family, and the fact that the thing is that they brought me into their family and we've grown upon it and, and the things that I've been able to bring to them and they've learned and adapted to, and obviously it's gone out and they've shown it on Saturdays and how they play with the attitude and the way they do things right and the way they're making plays consistently throughout every Saturday. Have you seen a, a ton of progress from when you guys started? I think it's been gradual growth. You know, the good thing is that there's a bunch of good players there, but the thing is they bought into the team concept and, and winning as a unit. And the thing that we always stress is communication in terms of communicating with your fellow teammates and your players while we're out there on the field. The pre-snap things that they can identify that can help simplify things for them in coverage. And those are the things that I think they've done a really good job on terms of building on from each game from week to week. What they've done a good job, too, is uh, is dance. So it seems like they're having fun. I don't know if you're showing Hargraves those moves or the different things that are going on back there, but you know, I think with everything, as hard as you work, the ability to still have some fun and come up with results has to be pretty special. Yeah, at the end of the day, the fun's in winning, you know, and winning ball games is what we're all about. Uh, in terms of the dance move, that's all those guys. Those guys obviously got their own little step, a little swagger to it. So you had Vernon Hargraves, who got a lot of preseason attention. Tabor's been great. Mm -hmm. Keanu Neal's now back. Just uh, the, the ability to coach these guys it's great I mean each guy has its own special asset in terms of their ability wise and you know knowledge wise and each one brings a different thing to the table and when you put all those great things together you get a good a good showing and hopefully continue good success and for South Carolina they do some some funky things on offense now I think does that mean you guys have to be more disciplined yeah we got to be disciplined at all levels you know in terms of with our eyes and what we're seeing things and we got to put ourselves in good position to make plays but ultimately playing with great leverage in terms of understanding the structure of the defense and how we can affect the team and what are some of those things if they line up at Wildcat is it different than when they're going conventional quarterback talk about some of the things that you're gonna to have to go through yeah again when they get in those different packages we got different calls for certain things and each different call we have the players have to understand okay where's my help where's my weakness and understanding those two things is the most important that way they can sit there and be aggressive when things are where they need to be and they got to be a little bit more conservative when things aren't where they need to be when you talk about communication home in the swamp like everybody's yelling and screaming so, so the defense it's maybe it's a little bit easier on the road because the the opposition is trying to be quiet 
quiet when their team's on offense. Does that help communicating and, and, and stress the importance of how important it is to communicate? Yeah, it's important because, again, we, we, have, we base a lot of our coverage calls on certain situations, certain formations, and certain alignments. And, and the way the guys, they got to be able to look at each other, communicate with verbal and hand gesture signals. And that way we can sit there and we can all be on the same page. And when we're all on the same page, usually we're right. And when we're all right, usually good things happen. How important is it for the D-line to do their job and then the linebackers in order for your guys to be successful? Again, it starts up front. You know, those front four, usually Coach Rump's guys, they got to get after that passer for us. And usually when they can stress that quarterback to sit there and throw the ball earlier than they need to or we can make them hold a little longer, good things to come. And then the backers at the second level, they're as big as with us in terms of communicating the coverage calls because they are involved in both the run front as well as the passing front. So they've got a little bit of both. Whereas we usually have this passing part, we all got to sit there and be on the same page, all three levels. And when we are, good things can come. Turnovers have obviously been a big part of the season. You guys are one of the, the best, not only in the league, but the entire country. So stress that importance of what you guys go through practice-wise to get you ready for Saturdays. Again, the way we practice, the way we play, and that's the one thing that these guys have been really good in buying in the Coach Max system. we got to work you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. we got to get all that stuff on together so that when we get out there on Saturday, you almost see a finished product. The hard part's during the week. You know, The practices, we're usually giving them as much stressful things in terms of what they're going to face out there on Saturday. So when they get to Saturday on game days, things become easier and things begin to slow down, which is what we want it to do. Now that you've been these guys for, for quite a while, you've had road games, you've had home games, is, is there a difference much between what you do on the road and what you do at home? Again, the nice thing about being home office, we have the home atmosphere, which uh, the, they're going to be a lot louder You know, when they're on de- when we're on defense at home, which uh, obviously affects the offense. When we go to the away stadiums, not as quite as loud because the home stands, they're obviously going to be a little bit quieter, so we can communicate a little bit more verbally and hand gesturally. But that's usually the difference in terms of the noise while we're out there on the field. While the Gator football program has seen championships on multiple levels over the last 20 years, this amount of success is certainly new to a group of players that have endured a tough few years in Gainesville. But now Jim McElwain has led the rejuvenation of the Orange and Blue, and as Gators' own senior writer Scott Carter notes, that means a new set of challenges for these Gators to handle. They're in kind of uncharted waters again. Uh, still have uh, three games to go before the end of the regular season, starting uh, with South Carolina this week and then at home against Florida Atlantic and then Florida State here at the Swamp. And uh, for McElwain and his staff, they're looking for this team to show some signs of improvement. They're still not doing it offensively like they want. I mean, they passed for under 200 yards the last two games. Their rushing attacks tied for 105th in the nation. Overall, their offense is ranked 91st. They're doing better overall in the passing game this year, ranked 63rd in the nation, but they're still not putting up the kind of numbers that they're going to need probably to uh, be a player in the SEC championship and perhaps even past that in the college football playoff. After the Vanderbilt game, Jim McElwain actually apologized to everybody for having to watch that performance. He doesn't like bad offense. So the question is, with three games left and now three games starting in a row for Treon Harris, what can they do to get a little bit more going both in the passing game and on the ground? It starts up front, Adam. McElwain said it's miserable for a quarterback or an offensive coordinator in the play-calling aspect of the game when the offensive line is giving your quarterback no time. And that's what kind of happened against Vanderbilt. I mean, Vanderbilt's defensive line was very good. They were all over the Gators really that entire game. And it affected everything Florida wanted to do offensively uh, with Treon Harris. So it does start up front. There's going to be some players there that they're not making the wholesale changes or anything. They're going to have to do it with what they have. They've had some injury issues, obviously, last week with David Sharp. He uh, did come in in the second half, played, but wasn't 100%, and he's going to be doubtful for this week. Martez Ivy played, but really it's just... 
Kevin Taylor said there was some miscommunication, and that's kind of a nebulous thing. They just didn't execute. I mean, that's what it comes down to, together from what I've heard from McElwain and the players. They're going to have to execute better. And so when you're not executing and you're playing a team like Vanderbilt that is good defensively, you're not going to be a very productive offensively. And, you know, everybody wants to look at maybe Treon Harris and put it all on him, but McElwain stressed yesterday there's 10 other guys around him, and not a lot of those other guys were doing what they needed to do last Saturday against Vanderbilt. So he's going to look really just more production, more execution from every guy on that offense. And really, I I think that's the only way you're going to see this Florida offense improve, get that running game going, get the passing game going better, and getting Treon Harris more time and just uh, more chances to do things in the offense. It's been a very strange season for South Carolina. It hasn't gone well results-wise. Then Spurger steps away. So they're scrambling right now just trying to get back to 500 and be eligible for a bowl. And, and Jim McElwain thinks that's going to be a big motivational factor for them this weekend. Sure, Adam. you got the uh, SEC champs coming into town. And uh, South Carolina has had a bad season. That's the only way you can put it. This was a team that Steve Spurger at the start of the year thought could surprise some people and instead uh you know they were they were so bad early on that he'd had enough and resigned in the middle of the season they were 0-4 in the SEC they're they're sitting at 1-6 now and it's a South Carolina team that has had quarterback issues they've used three different starting quarterbacks they went back to a Perry Orth last week at Tennessee, and he had a pretty good game through three touchdowns. They still lost 27-24. And when you look at this South Carolina team, their defense has really been an issue all year. They're near the bottom of almost every major category statistically. They give up a lot of points. They give up a lot of yards. I think Florida is, they maybe look at this game as a potential way to get their offense going. But ultimately, you know, I would expect the South Carolina team to be fired up because they're playing for an interim coach. You know, Sean Elliott replaced Spurrier. They've won the first game after a uh, that move was made. They beat Vanderbilt, but they've lost two since then. And uh, they have been more competitive. They have been in the games, but you know they're still looking to uh, salvage something out of this season that has been a disappointing one in Columbia. Guys are playing hard. Uh, they're playing to go to a bowl game. They got a chance to play the SEC East champs. It's a heck of a lot of motivation there. But at the end of the day, this focus is about us and what we do to prepare ourselves to go play well. The defense has really been the constant throughout this year for Florida, but a long season can take its toll. And now going to South Carolina, a lot of injuries. A lot of guys are going to have to plug in new spots and then hope they keep up the same level of production. This Florida defense, this Florida team really has been relatively healthy uh, this whole year. And coming off the Vanderbilt win, they're facing a few injuries on defense uh, with key players, starting with John Bullard having his best season. He leads the Gators with 13 tackles for loss, has five sacks, and played an excellent game against Vanderbilt on Saturday. Injured his arm. Jim McElwain listed him as doubtful, but they're hoping that as the week goes by and he can get more rehab and more time that maybe he'll play. Sounds like Joy Ivy, another key player up on the defensive line, is going to be out facing some abdominal injury. Ivy's missed two of the last three games, so they've been going without him. And Keanu Neal, one of the starting safeties and probably the hardest hitter on that defense, he uh, has a foot injury that he's kind of working through, and his status for uh, Saturday at South Carolina sounds questionable. So that means you're just going to have to get more experienced guys, especially on the defensive line when you're, you're missing possibly two guys with Buller and Ivy. They'll look to Caleb Brantley, Taven Bryan, Kerry Clark, and of course, you can still got Alex McAllister up there. The reigning SEC Defensive Player of the Week leads the Gators with six and a half sacks and had a really good game against Vanderbilt. So it's not 
like they're without talent up there, but anytime you lose a player like John Buller who's playing at such a high caliber, it's something that you know they have to address. We should be excited about where these guys have come and how far they've come to help this university be to where it should be and help this football program get back to what it, where it belongs. And we've got a ways to go, and uh, we'll get there. Finally today, baseball season may be a few months away, but it's never a bad time for Legends of the Diamond to return to Gainesville. This past weekend, former Gator baseball star Matt Laporta led a sold-out homecoming crowd as the honorary Mr. Two-Bits, and Gator Vision's Whitney Hayworth asked him what he thought when he got the call to lead Florida's famous cheer. It's so exciting to be back here in the swamp and get to be in front of all these fans here for a Vandy game. I'm just, I'm beyond excited. When they asked me to do it, I was like, you want me to do it? I never played football, I just played baseball, but uh, I was very honored to get to come out here and do this and be part of this great tradition and be part of this university. What has life been like for you after college here at the University of Florida? It's been a tremendous ride. I think being here at the university is just, I met my wife here. So many great experiences here at the university. And then after college, I've had some great experiences. I got to play in the Olympics, play in the big leagues a little bit. And it's just been amazing. And then you helped the Gators get to the World Series in 2005. What have you seen from the Gator baseball program since then? And they have just gotten better and better every year. The coaching staff solely over there has done a great job with recruiting great talent and I mean I'm so proud to be part of the University of Florida and watch the Gators baseball team especially just become the teams that they have been they're creating something very special and then lastly what advice would you give to the players now when they come to the University of Florida to play baseball just have as much fun as you can work hard and just don't look back and enjoy the moment really just be in the moment and that's going to do it for this week's show If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher to make sure you don't miss a single episode, and please give us a review to help Gator Tales continue to grow. Also, let us know what you think about Gator Tales and what you'd like to hear in the future by emailing gatorspodcast at gmail.com or tweeting at gatorspodcast. Don't forget to catch the SEC Eastern Division champions when they take on South Carolina Saturday at noon, live on ESPN and the Gator IMG Sports Network. Our next podcast will be available next Thursday and will preview Florida's visit from FAU and more, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, thanking you for joining us on Gator Tales.